welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning, church. It's a joy to be with you this morning. If you would, please turn with me to Genesis 19. Genesis chapter 19. For context, we are in a larger section of Scripture that deals with the question, is God just? In chapter 18, God reveals to Abraham that he is going to destroy Sodom, which is the home of Abraham's nephew, Lot. Abram then, on behalf of his nephew, boldly implores God, and we have that conversation where he goes back and forth, but in Genesis 18:25 Abraham specifically says this very boldly it seems like to me uh, to God he says this verse 25 far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked far be that from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just and we studied that passage together and we looked at the the question, is God just? And when Abraham speaks these words to God, surprisingly, God doesn't rebuke Abraham, but instead chooses to reveal to Abraham his incredible kindness towards his people. To the extent that God agrees to spare the entire city if only ten righteous souls or if only ten followers of God were found within its walls. This scene sets the stage for chapter 19 because it asks the overarching question for this whole section of Scripture. It asks the question, is God just? And then suggests the answer that God is just, both in His severity towards the wicked and in His kindness towards those who trust in Him. Last week we focused on God's severity towards the wicked, But today we will focus our time on God's incredible kindness towards those who trust in Him. So that's going to be the focus today. In Genesis 19, two of God's angels arrive at the gate of Sodom and are greeted by Lot, who is sitting at the gate. And Lot invites these visitors to spend the night in the safety of his home, and the angels accept. But that night... And well, as the night approaches, the men of Sodom surround Lot's house and demand that Lot hand over the strangers who had entered their town. We'll pick up the account in Genesis 19, verse 4. And we're going to read this entire chapter. Again, we're, we're in Genesis, which is a lot of narrative and historical accounts. And so to get the entire idea of what is happening here in history and in this section of Scripture, we're going to read all the way to verse 38. So let's read together. Verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. 
But the men, the angels behind Lot, they reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone uh, you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not over this overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on the earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down and when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down and when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. We will stop there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him just to help us as we struggle with this account in His Word. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your great love for Your people. We are undeserving. We oftentimes hesitate and hold back and we 
We cling to things that are going to kill us, but you are gracious and kind, and I thank you for that. Lord, would you help us this morning as we study your word and as we look at this this example in, in Scripture, and I pray that even though it might not feel possible right now, I pray that as we leave today, after we have looked at your word, I pray that as we leave, that we would be filled with joy and hope, not in our goodness or our ability, but in our great God who is kind to his people. Would you do that for us today, for your glory and for our good? Amen. So after reading that um, account, it's not surprising that for most people, Lot is not one of their heroes of the faith. It's not, we don't, when we think of... uh, who we want to be like in the Bible. Lot's not one of those people that just jumps to the forefront of your mind. Like I'm thinking like David before his sin with Bathsheba and Noah before he got drunk in his tent and you know like Abraham before he you know gave his wife up to Pharaoh and, and these kind of things. You know like those are the people that I want to be like but Lot um, he doesn't even really come to mind. In fact if it weren't for one spirit inspired passage of scripture in the New Testament then I would have serious doubts about Lot's eternal salvation if you just had this story to go off of. But in his second letter, Peter reveals something shocking about Lot. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7-9, through 9, we read this. It says that God rescued righteous Lot, who was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Again, we're kind of shocked by these words. And even, you know, we we do need to understand this word righteous. Again, we're going to correctly interpret this word. Righteous in this sense does not mean morally perfect or even nearly morally perfect. Instead, this word describes someone who believes in God and is accepted by God. Their faith is accepted by God. But even with this clarification, Peter's words still seem shocking after the narrative we just read. Lot is called righteous and joins the ranks of followers of God like Abel, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. Peter's words changed the way we look at what just happened in Genesis 19. Now, we must identify Lot as a believer in God, someone that God chose, called, and received through faith. Yes, Lot made the foolish choice to leave his uncle in Canaan and head towards Sodom. We we studied that several weeks ago. Yes, Lot's heart was tempted by the wealth, luxury, and security of Sodom, and he did eventually move into that wicked city. Yes, Lot made many mistakes, but 2 Peter chapter 2 reveals that Lot's faith in the God of Abraham was counted to him as righteousness. That's the same way that Abraham was considered righteous. In Genesis 15, God says this to Abraham. He says, look toward heaven And number the stars if you are able to number them. Then the Lord said to him, so shall your offspring be. This is a promise from God. Verse 6, and Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. 
Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord declared him righteous. Then in Hebrews 11, still in the, in the New Testament, there, the author there is looking back at these heroes of the faith, these followers of God who were called righteous in the Scriptures. And we are told this, Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2, says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 2, For by faith the people of old received their commendation. Through faith, they were declared righteous or were accepted by God. They were credited righteousness that did not come from them. Verse 6 goes on to tell us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek them, who seek Him. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter writes about Lot, saying that this man was righteous or accepted in the sight of God through faith. Lot believed that the God of Abraham was the true God, and Lot believed that God rewards those who seek him. And this is why God pours out his kindness towards Lot, not because Lot was sinless. I mean, we saw that for sure. Not because Lot deserved the kindness of God, but because God had accepted Lot as one of his righteous ones through faith. This is God's grace in action. God's unmerited favor on display. When we we put Lot in in this category as one of God's accepted ones, one that God has received through faith, then we begin to understand God's incredible kindness towards this saved sinner in Genesis 19. Yes, this this terrible account is an example and a warning of God's coming wrath on rebellion. We looked at that last week, but this is also an example of the kindness of God towards His righteous ones, those whom He has received through faith. So let's look at God's kindness. Let's focus in on this In Genesis 19. First, God sends two angels to Sodom. Yes, they are there to inspect the wickedness of city and actually to bring about the destruction of the city. But we must also remember that the word angel is fundamentally the word messenger. That's where this word angel comes from, messenger. Angels typically arrive on the scene with a message, and these angels were sent by God with a message for Lot. Their message to him was, Get out of this city, for we are about to destroy it. God demonstrates his kindness by sending messengers with the message of salvation. Also, as the men of Sodom are about to attack Lot, the angels pull Lot back into the house and protect him from the mob and protect Lot from committing a terrible sin against God. He protects him from that. This is the kindness of God. Then as the sun was about to rise the next day, the angels warned Lot a second time, saying this, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingers. He lingered. 
So the angels seize him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. This is verse 16. It says that the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. They grab him by the hand and they drag him out of the city. Even though Lot hesitates, struggling to let go of his home, his possessions, his comfort, his imagined security. I mean, this is Lot. He thinks that Sodom is providing him security. He's clinging to it as a security blanket. Even though he does that, and he has a moment of doubt, God demonstrates his kindness towards Lot. The angels taking his family by the hand and rushing out of the city. In verse 17, we find Lot and his family now outside Sodom. And for the third time, one of the angels warns him, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. This is the third time he's given this warning. But Lot again hesitates. And he, be- and he begs to be allowed to go to Zoar, which was the smallest city in the plain and was actually one of the cities that was destined to be destroyed. So again, he's clinging to this to Sodom or the, the, the civilization of Sodom as his security. He thinks, he thinks Zoar, the, one of the places that's supposed to be destroyed, that it's going to provide him this security. But again, without rebuke, without giving up on him, God permits Lot to escape to Zoar. And for the sake of one believer, God spares the lives of everyone living in Zoar. It kind of Makes us think back now to all of Abraham's prayers. And ultimately, Sodom was not spared, but Zoar was spared. That entire city, that entire town was saved for the sake of one believer in God. Only once Lot arrives safely in Zoar does God rain down sulfur and fire on the remaining cities of the plain. And the entire scene ends with this summary in the scriptures. Verse 29. So it was... When God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities of which, in which Lot had lived. Here we have God's kindness displayed to two saved sinners. I mean, we know that Abraham's not perfect either. And God has displayed his kindness to both of them. God heard Abram's prayer of intercession and God spared the life of Lot as well. Not because they deserved it, not because God owed them anything, but instead because God is gracious and kind towards those who believe in Him. Peter comments on God's kindness to Lot, and Peter summarizes it this way in 2 Peter 2, 7 and 9. He says, if God rescued righteous Lot, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. This is an example of God rescuing His people out of the coming day of destruction. And Peter points back to that and says, If God could save Lot, God is worthy of your confidence, of your hope. You do not need to fear the day of wrath if your hope and your confidence is in this Lord. That is what Peter summarizes from the story. But you may be wondering, if Lot is a believer, 
And if Lot is one of the accepted ones of God, then why does his story end so badly? I intentionally continued reading to the end of the chapter so that we could get a sense of the entire picture of Lot's life. And it's not a pretty scene. Lot's story depicts a saved sinner who is conflicted and compromised. Lot starts off well. He leaves Ur of the Chaldeans with his uncle Abraham based on nothing but the promise of God that God was going to bless Abraham and his family. That's all Lot had to go off of when he left Ur of the Chaldeans, his home. Lot travels with Abraham and is blessed along with Abraham for several years. And only when the land became too small for both Abraham and Lot's herds does Lot look away from the possibility of sharing in the blessing with Abraham and instead looks to the Jordan Valley, to these, to these cities of Sodom. Friction arose within the family of faith, Abraham's family, and Lot chose to pursue greater wealth, comfort, and security rather than giving up those things, rather than sacrificing those things in order to share in the promises with Abraham and, and and we remember the promise of Abraham how there's this language of those who bless you God will bless those who curse you God will curse so there is this idea and even the promise to Abraham that those who are the friends of Abraham who who stay close to this family of faith that God is going to bless them for drawing near to this family Lot was conflicted between his desire to know and follow the one true God and his desire to gain the world. To have the best of the best that this world has to offer. I mean, we saw that when he's standing on this hill overlooking the Jordan Valley, it's clear. It says that he looked on that land and it was like paradise. And he's like, hey, Uncle Abraham, you know, the person who's my father's brother, who I should um, respect and honor and allow him to pick first, you can have this desert over here. I'm going to go take the paradise section of land. And so we get a glimpse of what was going on in Lot's heart. He is conflicted. When he left Abram, we must conclude that his righteous soul, as Peter says, I know we don't, you know, we want to push back against that, but Peter says that he was a saved sinner at this point, and we must conclude that when he left Abraham, he was conflicted between the heavenly and the earthly between the blessings of God and the rewards of seeking earthly treasures. He made a foolish choice, and for a season he chose the wealth of Sodom rather than the blessings found by being near to the family of faith found in Abraham. Lot's digression is made clear in Genesis by three phrases that stand out as you read through these chapters. First, in Genesis 13, Lot chose the Jordan Valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. This, this idea of moving towards Sodom in the Old Testament of writings is a very clear indication of a, a negative decision. So first, he moved his tent as far as Sodom. Then in Genesis 14, it says he is now living in Sodom. And then by Genesis 19, verse 1, we finally see Lot sitting in the gate of Sodom which was a place where important men in the city gathered to discuss um, different business matters and also even judicial decisions. If you had asked Lot 
when he was standing on that hill, before all of this happened, and he's standing on this, this, this hilltop overlooking this valley, if you had asked him then, while he's standing there next to Abraham, Lot, are you going to go live in Sodom and become an important man there? Like, really, like, integrate yourself in that society? If you had asked that, him that then, he most likely would have recoiled at that and been like, no. I'm going to go live in that wicked city. The, the, the Sodomites were famous throughout that whole region for their wickedness. And he probably would have recoiled from that suggestion. But temptation to sin usually comes in gradual steps that are easily taken. It's not that first step towards sin isn't usually that offensive. You're kind of like, oops, no lightning. You know, I wasn't struck this time. It wasn't that offensive. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of accepted in my culture. So, you know, that wasn't so bad. That's usually how temptation to sin begins in these small steps that are easily taken. But leaving your spouse and, and leaving your spouse for someone else, like these terrible sins were like, oh, how could they do this? But leaving your spouse for someone else doesn't happen in a single day, but instead comes from a series of smaller sins that were not confessed and turned from. Forsaking the gathering of the local church doesn't just happen one Sunday because someone hurt your feelings, but instead is the result of gradually growing cold toward your Savior and His body, the church, the people of the church. The temptation to live for this world and forget about heaven doesn't start with an obvious rejection of God where you're like, I'm going to go become a Muslim. Like, that's not typically how this happens where we see our loved ones and our friends and maybe even your children walk away from heaven for this world. That's not how this happens. Typically. Typically greed, lust, and pride attract the Christian through one small step at a time until they are entirely off the path that leads to abundant life. And I believe this is what happened to Lot. He started off well walking in step with Abraham, believing in the promises and desiring to be one of the people who were blessed along with Abraham. But then the temptations of wealth, luxury, security, and power drew his eyes away from, God, from the God-given blessings to the man-made comforts of Sodom. His eyes were drawn away from the heavenly to the earthly. Lot is a saved sinner in this story, but he is a saved sinner who is conflicted. And the conflict within his own soul between the heavenly and the earthly causes him to become now compromised in the world. He becomes compromised in Sodom. We find out that Lot is now sitting at the gate of Sodom and has integrated with this society. We wouldn't say he fully integrated because it's clear that he has attempted to stay above the moral perversions of the city. I mean, Peter makes that very clear. And from what uh, Peter writes, Lot was disturbed in his soul over the wickedness of the city and attempted to guard his own heart from being corrupted by their deeds. I mean, we, he, he makes that clear. But Lot has chosen Sodom, and his choice carried terrible consequences. First, we find that his own moral judgment has been affected by the society he was living in. His own moral judgment. 
when the Sodomites surround his house and demand to have the angelic visitors, Lot feels trapped. Like, what is he going to do? How, like, there's probably a hundred or more people standing around his house. He's not going to escape. He's surrounded. How can he now protect his guests who he's welcomed to, into his home? This is a, a significant duty he does have. How is he going to do this? But this is where Lot reveals the compromised nature of his own moral judgment. Because Lot then suggests, in this moment of tension, he suggests that he could bring out his two daughters and give them to the mob of men standing outside his house. Now I realize that Lot had a sacred obligation to protect his guests. God makes that very clear to his people that when strangers come into the city and you bring them into your you should welcome them into your home. And they are your, your honored guests, and you should protect them. God makes that very clear. I realize that. I also realize that Lot is living in a day where women were treated very poorly and were treated more like property and were not valued in the society until they had born children. And the, the Scriptures doesn't teach that that's the way they should have been living. It just records that that is the way they were living in rebellion to God's design. But even with these, this cultural background of his responsibility to his guests and with the culture of his day, even with that in the background, what Lot, we must acknowledge and not try to protect Lot, and we must acknowledge that what Lot suggests is wickedness. It is wicked and is an abandonment of his paternal responsibilities to his own children. Lot's own moral judgment has been seared by his decision to dwell in Sodom. You cannot make a decision like that where you're going to say, I'm going to abandon the people of God and I'm going to go dwell in Sodom. Not just have a farm way out in the country outside of Sodom. No, I'm going to go dwell and be integrated with them. You cannot make a decision like that and remain unaffected by the society around you. Next, we find out that Lot had arranged marriages for his daughters with Sodom, with Sodomites, sorry, with two men who were from Sodom. Even though it's hard for us to believe, these sons-in-law were most likely also in the crowd that had surrounded Lot's house. Now, I'm kind of like, nah, surely they were exceptions, but verse 4 went to great lengths to emphasize that all the people to the last man surrounded Lot's house. So taking that verse as it is, um, we, we have to imagine that after these angels temporarily blind these men, these men must have staggered back to their homes where, the, where Lot then goes and finds them and attempts to convince them that destruction was coming. But apparently since Lot had been a secret follower of God in Sodom, I mean, he'd, he seems like he had been trying to protect his own soul but it doesn't seem like many people knew that he was a follower of God. So since he'd been a secret follower of God all this time, his sons-in-law thought he was just joking. They thought he was acting the fool and they would not leave Sodom. He, his words of, of warning of the day of wrath meant nothing to them. They thought he was just making a joke because of his way of life in Sodom. Third, we see that Lot is compromised by his decision to dwell in Sodom because his wife did not follow him into salvation from destruction. Lot's wife 
is most likely from Sodom. That is probably her home. We don't hear anything about her until after Lot has been living in Sodom for some time. And as they were supposed to be running to Zoar without looking back, the angel is very clear, do not look back. As they're running away, it seems like Lot's wife falls behind and is unwilling to leave Sodom. It's like she's sorry to give up her possessions, comfort, and status. She's sorry to give up her home in Sodom. And in verse 28, Lot's wife stops and looks back at the destruction of of Sodom. Sorry to see it destroyed. And God turns her into a pillar of salt for disobeying the angel's command. Finally, Lot is compromised by his decision to dwell in Sodom because the ways of Sodom have infiltrated into the hearts and minds of his daughters because of his decision to live there. Sodom was so much in their hearts that they were willing to get their father drunk and have children by him in the cave. This is truly a sad picture. I mean, when I come to this passage of Scripture in my Bible reading, it's one of those you kind of move rather quickly through so you can get to maybe one of the happier stories where there's heroes of the faith that would be like, yeah, we're going to be like them. Lot started off his story as a wealthy man, the respected nephew of Abraham, a follower of God, whose only problem was that he needed more land for all of his livestock and his possessions. That was Lot at the beginning of the story. That was his only problem. He just needed more land for all of his livestock. Now we find Lot in a cave. All his wealth and possessions are gone. He's now committing shameful acts while blinded by drunkenness. Why did God put this story in the Bible? I mean, I feel like I've asked that question about probably six, six or seven passages of Scripture so far in Genesis. Why did God put this in the Bible? And how is it possible for a believer to find themselves in such a miserable condition? Genesis 19 is clearly an example of God's severity towards the wicked and an example of God's kindness towards His people. But I also believe that Lot's sad part in this story has been included in order to warn God's people against being conflicted in heart and compromised in the world. Conflicted between the things of heaven and the things of this earth. Because if we live within this conflict, one day going this way, one, going, one day going that way, moment by moment, just going back and forth between heaven or this earth, then we will find ourselves compromised by this world. <coughs> Saved sinners can still bring great misery into their own lives and into the lives of others by giving in to the temptation to sin. Yes, God does stand ready to forgive and He will, will welcome with open arms anyone who comes to Him by faith in repentance, turning from their sins. God will welcome you with open arms and He will begin the process of restoring you from that moment on. But our actions and decisions still have consequences in this life. They do. We clearly see this in Lot's life And we see it in the lives of others as well. So this story ends in tragedy, not because Lot was rejected by his God, 
but instead so that you and I will be warned by the misery of Lot and so that we will strive to stay close to God all our days so that we will not live our days in this conflict between heaven and hell, but so that we would turn our eyes to heaven and strive for the kingdom of God. The kindness of God is prominent throughout Lot's life. I mean, if you look at it, God's kindness is everywhere in Lot's life. But Lot seemed to take it for granted most of the time. He did not think long and hard upon the grace of God that had been shown to him, which caused him to treat the kindness of God lightly. He took it lightly, took it for granted. Even when he was delivered from the northern kings and then saved from the destruction of Sodom, he continued to take God's kindness for granted. We see that in the way that he hesitates, and then he begs to still have a little piece of Sodom in Zoar. We see his, 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 his confliction. But I'm afraid that as we sit here, and it's pretty easy on this Sunday morning as we sit here, gathered for worship. It's, it's easy to judge Lot, but the truth is that sometimes we live the same way. Even though Lot's, we, we live this way where we take the kindness of God towards us for granted, even though when we are looking at Lot's story, Lot's physical deliverance is nothing compared to our salvation that we have experienced. Invading armies and fire from heaven wasn't our problem when we were lost. No, we were slaves to sin, hopelessly enslaved to sin and in danger of suffering eternal death in the lake of fire. That was our problem. Two angels from heaven didn't come to our city, no. It wasn't just an angel that came for us, no. The Son of God descended from heaven, was born as a baby, and dwelt among men for us. Abraham didn't charge foreign armies in order to save us, and it wasn't angels that took us by the hand to save us. No. The Son of God was crucified as a criminal in order to ensure our salvation. That is what it took to save us. And what God demonstrated, how He demonstrated His kindness towards us. Lot took for granted the kindness of God sometimes, most of the time it seems like. But are we, are we guilty of doing the same or even being more guilty than Lot? Because our salvation is even greater. It's been demonstrated in the Scripture and in the Holy Spirit in us. And it is even greater in our eyes and in our thoughts and our hearts. But do we take it for granted? Are we living according to the kindness that God has demonstrated towards us? So what does it look like to live according to the kindness of God? So to live as if that is on our thoughts, in our hearts, something that we are grateful for. What does it look like? Well, we can ask ourselves these questions. Are we turning from sin and running to God quickly? Because if the salvation of God is on our hearts and in our minds, then that will be true of us. We will turn from sin quickly and run to God. Are you living with unshakable joy because your identity is in 
Christ crucified for me? That's our identity. Christ was crucified for us, and God has accepted us as sons and daughters. Now, that doesn't mean we're always happy and that we don't cry, that there aren't terrible things that happen in this life that we weep over. But there's a difference between just being happy all the time and having an unshakable joy in the God who is the creator of the universe, who sent his son to die for us and has accepted us eternally, that nothing can take that away from us. That is unshakable joy in him, not just happiness in how my life is today. That's not what I'm talking about. It's unshakable joy in who he is and what he has made me, what he has made you. Our words of praise and thankfulness on my lips. Is that what I'm known for? For being quick with words of praise and thankfulness for God. Are we generous and kind? Slow to anger and quick to forgive because our thoughts are filled with the Savior's kindness towards sinners like us. That was Jesus' reasoning to his disciples. He's, He's talking about how in the Word of God, in the New Testament, we read that because Jesus Christ has forgiven us all things, we must now turn around and forgive others. We have no right to revenge. We must forgive because Christ has forgiven us. So are we quick to forgive, slow to anger? Church, we must hear God's warning through the story of Lot. The warning that we should not take for granted the kindness of God, but instead we should dwell long and often upon the kindness of God towards us. In fact, we should seek to live each moment according to the kindness of God as if we truly believe that that is the reality of our lives. And the more we do that, the more we live moment by moment aware and thoughtful about the kindness of God, that that is in our thoughts. As we do that, our love for God and others will begin to outshine the temptation to sin. Our hearts will be guarded from lesser loves. That's the way the Bible talks about the the world and the, the, the temptations to sin. They are lesser loves. Give them up for the greater love, the one who has loved you and given himself up for you. Let your love for him grow and grow. This isn't just beating my body into submission. That's not just what the Christian life. Yes, there is parts of the Christian life where we beat our bodies into submission. And I'm not talking physically. I'm just you know, talking as a picture where we say, yes, we must submit to God, even though I don't want to right now. But the Christian life is first and foremost an increasing and abiding love that is growing. And as our love grows, we will grow into this, this following of Christ. And it will be our joy. And as we, as we do this, as we are guarded from temptation, we will actually, through the Holy Spirit in, inside of us, as we grow in this love and the Spirit takes our, our reading of Scripture and our meditation on what Christ has done as we do this, the Spirit of God will actually give us the ability to begin doing the works of righteousness that God has prepared for us to do beforehand. We are actually called new creations in Christ. He has now created us spiritually. We are a new creation that is made for good works or righteous deeds. 
So as we focus on what God has done for us, His kindness towards us, the Holy Spirit is going to take that and He is going to grow our love for God and give us the ability to live for Him. So that is our hope. And so as we, as we think on that, um, let's turn now to communion. And we're going to spend some time right now together as a church thinking about the kindness of God towards us. And so before we do that, let's, open, let's, uh, let's pray together and thank God for His kindness. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Jesus Christ. I thank You that Your Son came and that He has accomplished this great salvation for Your people. Lord, would You please forgive us for how we take it for granted. I know that we all um, have to fight to remain thankful and to put this at the forethought, the, the front of our thoughts. It's really difficult, Father, not to get distracted by just the, the chaos of life. Sometimes when, when you're at work or with the kids or at school, it just feels like everything is on fire and you're just trying to put out fires all day long. And when we are living like that, it's so easy to even forget about heaven for an entire day. Lord, I thank you that you know our frame, you know we are weak, and I pray that the Spirit of God within us, that, that your Holy Spirit would warm our hearts towards you, that, we, that the Spirit of God would convict us when we are taking your kindness for granted, and that we would go often and dwell long in your word, looking at the kindness, your kindness towards us as your people. Thank you for Jesus who died for us, Thank you for this physical reminder now of what Christ has accomplished. I pray that you would be glorified in all these things. Amen.